How much are organized crime syndicates bleeding from the South African economy every year? We speak to Dr. Dion George, the Democratic Alliance's Shadow Minister of Finance. Welcome, Doctor. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to all of the people watching this afternoon. Doctor, you've done some calculations and you've come up with some estimates. Please share those with us. We've taken a lot of statistics that we've got from government and from various think tanks. And we've done basic calculation, which we think is probably on the low side. Um, but we've come up with 155 billion rand that that is costing our economy, the number of syndicates that are operating in our economy. And when you see that kind of number, then I think we can start thinking about a systemic corruption that's in the system. For example, we looked at the construction mafia. We looked at infrastructure vandalism and arson. We looked at the ESCOM's organized crime networks. We looked at uh, kidnapping and extortion. That's becoming quite a feature in our economy. We did not calculate for the taxi mafia that we know is operating, and we saw a little bit of that during the taxi strike. It caped on how that actually reared its head and became quite clear. We did look at the illicit economy, especially with guns and drugs, and of course, wildlife syndicates also, and then the illegal mining syndicates, tender corruption, and the tobacco and cigarette mafia. So there's a number of ecosystems, corrupt ecosystems, that are operating our economy. And at that price per year, it's really depriving us of a lot of Revenue, for example, tax revenue that also could be collected because we know there's a massive shortfall. And also where this has also manifested is that the latest uh, index, the uh, Global Corruption Index, South Africa's number seven on that index. And that is very significantly high for a country that um, should not be in that situation. For a country that at one point was actually a respected member of the global financial system. No longer so. We see that we've been grey listed also since the beginning of this year, February. There's no sign at all of any improvement on that at all. So government has a lot to account for, quite frankly, because it is not doing its job in managing this massive problem. Because government itself is a corrupt entity. And that's where the big problem actually lies. There's no political will to sort this out. Could you give us a breakdown uh, of how much the different syndicates are estimating to be leaching from the economy? We've estimated that the construction mafia is at 17 billion, infrastructure vandalism and arson at 47 billion, the ESCOM organized crime network, 12 billion, kidnapping and extortion, that's less than a billion, that's 146 million, taxi mafia, we haven't. Uh, got to a number yet, but we are working on that. The illicit economy, specifically in drugs and uh, guns, 13.6 billion. Wildlife syndicates, 1.2 billion. Illegal mining networks, that's the Zamazamas, that's about 14 billion. And then tender corruption, we've put at 30 billion. And then the tobacco and cigarette mafia at 20 
billion and the total is 155 billion. But as I said, this is only things that we actually have been able to measure as accurately as we think we have. And because we don't want to get to a number that isn't actually um, grounded in fact. So that is why I think the number is fairly low. It's probably a lot higher if you take into consideration, for example, the fraud and the corruption that's happening in, for example, the documentation in home effects and all the illegal documents operating in, in, in our economy. So that that number is, I believe, very significantly understated. Um, but we are working on it continually to get a more accurate number because we do need to be accurate. I mean, government has got a shortfall now um, for this year of about 100 billion rand in the budget. And where that comes from is that Treasury overestimated the growth that we were going to get in the economy this year. They estimated growth about 1.4%. We haven't got anywhere near that. We're about 0.6 in the last quarter. And so there was already an overstatement in the revenue that was going to get collected. Plus, of course, government has in factored in the social relief of distress grant, which is in the region of about 40, 40 uh, billion. So we've got a hole in our budget of 100 billion. So if you look at things like this that are basically sucking energy out of our economy, we could in fact plug that hole if we had a better outcome on these things. So if there was a political will to tackle these, and it's a lot of hard work here because you're not dealing with one small little isolated incident. You're looking at systemic corruption. And that is the big problem. I'm not sure if you saw yesterday that the, the U.S. Congress had a hearing on South Africa, the bilateral relationship between South Africa and the U.S. That was for the first time, the Foreign Affairs Committee, for a very, very, very long time. And the chairperson, um, uh, Congressman John James, he actually opened up the discussion on his views on the ANC and how they have actually become a corrupt organization, corrupted the country. So we have a very significant problem, but it is not something that cannot be fixed. It can, in fact, be fixed if we have the political will to do that and we have the right people fighting this problem. Because as um, Fatih said when they grey-listed South Africa, is that if various things happened, we would then be able to exit the grey list. So, for example, we needed to make sure that our financial laws were improved and in the right place. And there has been a lot of progress on that. We had to very significantly look at our judicial system. And that is where the problem lies. Because, I mean, we've been reading recently, I'm sure you've seen it as well, is that the National Prosecuting Authority isn't getting enough money and that also now if you look at the Zondo Commission and that the findings that it had then people that are resisting that their findings they're not able the authorities in South Africa are not able to defend those types of findings because there's no money in the system so it's been deliberately pulled out of the system so that our legal system is compromised and that's a very, very big problem because we 
obviously we've got a number of very robust institutions and they are in the, in the constitution for a reason. And that was basically to ensure that our democracy would, would be defended and we would be able. These are the section nine uh, institutions, chapter nine institutions, and they are there in place specifically to safeguard our democracy against a government that starts to go off the rails. And so what's happening with our government that's going off the rails, it's actually attacking those institutions. So the fundamental foundations of our democracy are being eroded. And that it does not bode well for our future democracy. So certainly from the DA's perspective, as we believe that those institutions must be very rigorously defended because those are the pillars that are actually holding it together. If our institutions fail, then we really are going to go down the road of just another failed state. And we can't have that. So we will obviously do everything that we possibly can to prevent that type of an outcome. Why have organized criminal operations not been designated as national priority crimes? Well, as I said, I think there's no political will to do that. Um, we do have the expertise. I mean, we've got lots of smart people in South Africa working in the National Prosecuting Authority, for example, working in the police services that are capable of detecting this type of crime and bringing the criminals to book. But it's just no political will. For example, the Minister of Finance has said it publicly. For example, the criminal syndicates that are operating in Mpumalanga, in ESCOM, um, that they are unable to actually tackle that because the entire system is completely infected. You cannot actually do anything. You cannot find or you cannot find anybody that will hold any of the syndicate members to account because of the fear that that is operating. Also, I think when that ecosystem starts to become lucrative, then it becomes much more difficult to actually change because it becomes a feature of your economy. So if you have an illicit economy, for example, and then it becomes a fundamental part of your economy, then you are in trouble. It's, for example, if you look at uh, Pablo Escobar in South America, is that eventually the drug trade was so much um, woven into the fabric of the economy that taking it out actually caused enormous amount of damage. And people got to the point where they thought, well, this is actually something we don't want to lose from our economy because we need it. So when your economy starts to function that way, you actually start developing a criminal economy. And what that means is that you have a lot of activity, obviously, that's outside of your tax not measured. So maybe your economy is even bigger than you know, but you're not getting the revenue that you should be getting off it. And that is not the way that South Africa can work. It's not, it's not feasible and it's not viable. And that makes South Africa not viable. So what government needs to do, it needs to designate this as a priority crime. And then it needs to, if it can't fix everything at the same time, which it probably can't, 30 years of neglect is a very long time. You have to tackle those areas that you can tackle. And for example, areas if you look at the illicit trade, or for example, tobacco, you can you can actually take a stand and work on that. Also with ESCOM, which is a relatively contained environment, it should be possible. Um, as uh, Dorator said before he left, it is possible, but there is no will to do that. And until there is will, it will not happen. Because what happens is, the fish rots basically from the head. We know that. 
and we are still not sure what exactly happened with President Ramaphosa and the dollars that were apparently stuffed into his couch. I have uh, actually taken that finding from the Reserve Bank on review and the court papers are in. It will take quite a while though, but at least the process has begun because we need to make sure that that Reserve Bank is not compromised and is not being politically affected. So we have to do that. So every time that we see somewhere that our institutions are getting eroded, we must take action on that. I mean, you know, you can't fix everything at the same time, but there has to be a stand. And I think the thing is with South Africa also is that things run very sort of sideways for quite a while, and then suddenly you have quite a big bump, you know. But we thought during the past eight years that, well, you know, this, this might carry on forever, but it didn't. It got to a point where the change came. And when this change started happening, it ran very quickly. And we saw enormous benefits for South Africa from that system falling over and crumbling. And the same thing is going to happen here, is that as the ANC has got more and more corrupt, it is unable to govern. And so the cracks have started forming. And what happens is, it's the same thing about you say, well, how does the country go bankrupt? Or how does anybody go back? Slowly and then quickly. And what's happening in South Africa, it's starting to unravel because the government is clearly not able to govern. And so the cracks are everywhere. And eventually, there's nowhere to hide. And I think that that's what's happening now, current to the, to the medium term much statement that the minister must uh, table in November, the uh, 1st of November, it's going to be. They're scrambling around now to make cuts because there simply isn't enough money. But they cannot fix those problems that they should. For example, the state-owned enterprises and all of the entities that have proliferated and no value but are populated by politically deployed cadres who are paid a fortune but add no value because there's no way that the political situation can actually support removing that. That's why we've run out of money. And that's why we're unable to actually pay the social grants that need to be paid after April because there's no money in the budget. So government then says, well, okay, we're going to have to do something. We can push that up by 2%, which is certainly regressive, so you can't do that. We'll have to see. Or you can borrow more money, but already borrowing, the interest on borrowing is crowding out service delivery. It's the biggest item now, single item on the, on the budget. So that's not sustainable. It has to be paid back. Or you can cut, but you can't just cut on the periphery. It's not going to work. So I do think that the minister is in a very, very tight spot. And also, I think if you look, for example, who's responsible for this, that the, the cabinet keeps saying that they are collectively responsible. So they and the president are accountable for this systemic corruption that's now part of our economy. I mean, I was recently at an event um with some international people who were talking about how their country systems work. And every one of them spoke about, without hesitation and not even blinking, about South Africa being infected by systemic corruption. And now when you start having that narrative, sentiment starts to go the wrong way, or it already has. So you then find people don't want to invest in your economy because they don't believe that it is an economy that they want to invest in, and they don't believe that the 
mechanisms that are in place are going to be protective enough. And that's what happened with, after FATF, uh, Ray listed us. You will see how difficult it is to move money across the border now. Every business will tell you that. It is very difficult. In fact, some international brokers, brokerages, etc., have offloaded all of their South African clients because it's just too difficult for them to do business. So that spiral is not going in our favor, scrubbing the wrong way. And the fundamental thing here, I mean, we can crow all day about what is broken, etc., but we've got to look at what are the consequences of that. What are the consequences for your ordinary South African households who actually are battling to put enough food on the table? And this has been going on for a long time now. And when the government starts to unravel like this, it gets worse. Imagine VAT going up by 2%. What does that take off everybody's table? So, and an economy that isn't growing and a government that can't provide social support that it should. So you have a situation where your fabric starts to unravel. And that is very, very problematic. And in fact, grossly unfair to those South Africans who get up every day, go to work, and want to live in an environment that at least they can become something or their children can become something and they can have life that they wanted to. It's not too much to ask, actually, of a government to just do your job. That's just do your job, make these crimes a priority, put resources on it instead of wasting it on never-ending bailouts to basically bankrupt entities, and do something positive that will start turning the tide, because it is possible. Because we should not be in the lead of countries like Myanmar and Colombia, Mexico is there, Nigeria, the DRC, these are countries that are similar to us in terms of, of the levels of corruption. And that's not what we want for South Africa. Certainly not for a country that is actually a very rich country. And we are only on our knees because our government has chosen the wrong economic policies. Thank you. That was Dr. Dion George, the Democratic Alliance's Shadow Minister of Finance, speaking to Biz News. Thank you, sir. 